We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, April the 5th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend series, the Gamecocks go into Athens, Georgia, and take two of three from the Georgia Bulldogs by scores of five to three, 13 to seven, and five to one Friday through Sunday. Guys, I'll give my key takeaways. TSUS Series MVP, also slap dick of the weekend. Who's hot? Who's not? What's next for this South Carolina baseball team? As again, they improved to 19 and seven overall and six and three in conference play. Also, guys, I'll talk about the game from Friday night as women's basketball season Comes to an end with a loss against the Stanford Cardinal in the Final Four. Also, guys, we got news and notes to get into your listener questions and a fantastic interview. The former play-by-play man, former Gamecocks voice himself, Andy Demetra, joined me for a fantastic conversation. Of course, he currently serves as the voice of the Yellow Jackets for Georgia Tech. Guys, a phenomenal conversation with Andy. Please be sure to stay tuned for that, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy. We got a packed show. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company. And they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. What's up with it? 
hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. The cesspool of the South. Folks, what's going on? Happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. Isn't it fun? to just beat Georgia in anything. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter the event. It's always a fun weekend, and it's always a fun day when we can talk about the Gamecocks beating up on the Georgia Bulldogs. Folks, hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Also, for those who are big golf fans, let me wish you all a very happy Masters Week, a tradition unlike any other Obviously, me, I'm fired up for it, being from the local area, being from North Augusta, South Carolina. I joke with people the one week that Augusta, Georgia, turns into the coolest city on earth. The other 51 weeks of the year kind of sucks, but either way, should be a fun week, should be a lot of fun. Again, if you're a big golf fan like me, I know you're excited, but again, I'm excited to chat with you guys here on a Monday. we got a lot to dive into. We're talking baseball, we're talking basketball, and also a legendary conversation. With Andy Demetra. Anytime you hear Andy Demetra's voice also, it's a great day. Someone that will certainly bring a, bring a smile to your face, reflecting on and reminiscing on some of our favorite Gamecock memories. But again, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in, into this thing. The, game, the Gamecocks, if I can spit it out here on Monday, the Gamecocks had a very successful weekend at Foley Field in Athens, Georgia. It did not start out that way. A little bit of adversity, a little bit of controversy. But a successful weekend as the Gamecocks take two or three in Athens, Georgia. Final scores, losing five to three on Friday, but getting the wins on Saturday and Sunday, 13 to seven and five to one. Without further ado, folks, let's dive into the key takeaways. And you know what's crazy? As I went through my notes, because what I'll normally do, guys, is, you know, for these shows, for example, like the series recap shows, I have my notes, right? And so I'm copying, pasting, and just changing everything up. You know, I have the layout set up how I want it. But it's funny, in the notes from the key takeaways from Florida and Georgia, the first line applied to both, which I thought was really interesting and really crazy and something I'm glad to see change when it comes to South Carolina's history against the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs. The significance of this series win against the University of Georgia. I didn't even realize how much success Georgia had had against South Carolina and how much of the struggles the Gamecocks had against the Dogs. This was the first series win for South Carolina over Georgia since 2013. And the first series win in Athens since 2010. Unreal, unbelievable, hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom that Georgia baseball had that much success over South Carolina at any point. But here we are. So I know as Gamecock fans, we're all very happy and very glad to see those streaks come to an end. I think where you have to start with this series this past weekend, though, guys, is, you know, something that didn't necessarily surprise me, but still needs to be acknowledged and still needs to be talked about. It's still something that needs to be respected by Gamecock fans. And that is the resiliency of this team. To, And I told you guys, by the way, last week, I, I told you guys, when I picked South Carolina to beat Georgia two out of three, because I knew the hot thing was going to be, oh, pick the Gamecocks to sweep. You know, they're coming off the series sweep over Florida. You know, fans kind of have flipped the switch back to how great this team is, and they're going to Omaha, and they're unbeatable, and this and that, whatever. 
I told you guys, I don't care who you're playing. In the SEC, when you go on the road, winning two out of three is a big deal. If you can get a road sweep, it's huge, and you'll obviously take it. But if you can go on the road in the SEC, I don't care who you're playing. Going on the road and winning a series in the SEC is tough. And I told you guys that's why I was picking South Carolina to beat Georgia two out of three. I said, do not be surprised if this dog's team is able to steal one at home. And, you know, I kind of figured that if they were going to, it was going to come in a game like we saw on Friday night. Granted, would I have predicted it be on Friday night? No, I would not have. But I figured it'd come in a really close game, late inning game, you know, late inning dramatics, if you will. So I think the first thing you actually got to do is tip your cap to that Georgia team. That, that, is, that is a team that, again, when people have asked me, Chris, how good is Georgia? Just how good are they? Do I think they're the upper echelon and up there with the Floridas and the Vandys and the Arkansas and the Mississippi States? No, I do not. But that is a pesky good ball club. It's a pesky good ball club that I think is going to upset some people this year. I think that's a team that's going to beat some of the big boys. That's going to upset people, like I said. So you definitely got to tip your cat to Georgia. They've got a decent squad. They've got a decent squad for sure. And I think one of the big moments, by the way, in that series, South Carolina may have gotten a little bit lucky, was Josh McAllister's injury on Friday night. You know, it was something the announcers mentioned many, many times, but him not being in the lineup Saturday and Sunday was really big. But again, you got to give all the credit from this past weekend to this South Carolina team. And again, something that didn't surprise me, the resiliency of this team, I knew after Friday, I don't know if you guys could tell, which by the way, Shout out to my people at, uh, at Pinch. We had a phenomenal time. We had a great night. I-, I watched both the games there, and let's just say the night was a blast, and I'll just leave it at that. But I don't know if you guys could tell. I, I was very confident. I said, you know what? It happens. Friday nights in the SEC, sometimes you get beat. I picked this team to win two or three. We're right on schedule. I feel good with Jordan and Sanders the next two days. I think the bats will come around. So I expected this team to battle back and win anyway and fight after that Friday night loss. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't give credit to these guys and acknowledge it and really show appreciation for what this team has been able to do. Six and three now in conference play. But to go on the road and lose the Friday night game with your ace on the bump and to be able to come out the next two days and really dominate. I mean, I thought you were really dominant in both the Saturday and Sunday wins. You know, did Saturday get a little bit interesting there for a second? Yeah, sure. But you were in control of that ball game basically the entire time. Both Brandon Jordan and Will Sanders were dominant. And again, it started on the bump. The power display that came to be in Columbia, seven of the nine guys, which by the way, I just said in Columbia, I meant at Foley Field in Athens, Georgia. But either way, seven of the nine guys in your lineup, in your batting order, went yard this weekend, guys. Incredible. I mean, we, we knew, we know the type of power that this team has. And I don't think it's a live and die by the home run bunch. I think it's a team that has a bunch of good hitters who just tend to be power hitters, who are just, have, they just have power. You know, I think it's guys that are gap-to-gap, line-drive hitters that want to drive the baseball. And when you're as big and strong as as these guys are, (laughs) you're going to run into more than your fair share. And you're going to hit some out the ballpark. So the power display certainly came to be. But again, this team, what they're able to do, 
losing the Friday night game and then coming out and just flat out dominating. You know, some teams that would rattle. Some teams flat out that would rattle. And they wouldn't be able to rebound from it thinking, oh, woe is me. We lost with our number one guy. How are we ever going to come back? I think we're at the point now after this past weekend where, like, no one should doubt the fight in this team. Even if things don't go their way, this is a team that's going to respond to adversity the right way. And I I think I've told you guys before, but my number one thing, my number one measure of a ball club and a, a, a team in general, you know, this is the thing I'm probably most eager to see about Shane Beamer's squad this year. It's the, most, it's the thing I'm most anxious to see about every single team that I pull for. It isn't the, you know, oh, the preseason hype, and we have this guy on the roster, that guy on the roster, we have this coach, we have this, we have that. Because you could argue everybody in the SEC is good. Certainly to different levels. But we knew this team was talented coming into this season. There's no question. You can't deny that. Anybody who got to see this team at any point in the scrimmages, anybody who knew anything about the guys on this roster, anybody who listened to anything from, you know, analysts and people like me and whatever talk about this team, you knew this team was good, high quality. You knew this team had a chance to be really good. And again, we still got a long season to go, by the way. But I wanted to see how does this team respond to adversity? Because that's the name of the game in baseball. Things are not going to go your way. You're going to, you know, Run into games like Friday, where you have the lead, have the lead, have the lead, and then late in the game, you just got beat. You flat out just got beat. You know, I think Thomas Farr, I don't know what's going on with him. If he pissed somebody off, he pissed off the baseball gods, what it is, but the bad luck for Thomas Farr just continues. You know, I I thought he spun the baseball fine. I I thought he had a really good outing, actually. Five and two-thirds, six hit, two run, two, two, two earned run, seven strikeouts. I was surprised how quickly they pulled him. He only had 78 pitches in that one. So I was surprised they pulled him there, to be honest with you. And I think I may have talked about that. You know, I said, Skyler, let your guys eat, man. If they're throwing it well, let them eat. Let them eat. Why not? But it just wasn't your night. You know, Andrew Peters got the loss. Wasn't quite as sharp as normal. And I don't know what it is, again, with Thomas Farr. Like I said, he's had three SEC starts now and has zero wins. So you hope that he can snap out of that and – you know, snap that. He's, he's pitched. I mean, you could definitely argue he's pitched well enough to win all three games. Just hasn't come out on the right side of things. But like I said, after that tough Friday night, you know, we've talked about the importance of winning game one over and over and over again. I know it seems so obvious, but I, I just want to make the point again. Because I, I felt this way on the South Carolina side of things when the Gamecocks took on Florida. You win that game one, that feeling you have going into Saturday is incredible. Hey, only one team can lose a series today. There's no pressure on us. It's all on them. So if you were South Carolina this past weekend in Athens, your backs were against the wall on Saturday, and all you did was go out there on Saturday. Brandon Jordan spun a gym. I I know the stats are going to say, you know, six and two-thirds, five runs, four earned, three what? I, I know things got wacky in that seventh inning. When the dogs plated, uh, or excuse me, the sixth, no, excuse me, yeah, seventh, when they plated five runs. But Brandon Jordan absolutely spun a gem, was dominant all day long, 11 strikeouts, I believe a career high for him. But against that Georgia staff, and I, and I will say again, the Gamecocks did a fantastic job against Ryan Webb, both Ryan Webb and Jonathan Cannon. 
on Sunday. Two pitchers who I think in their own right are, are really high-quality guys. But you score two in the third, two in the fourth, three in the sixth, one in the seventh, three in the eighth, and two in the ninth. That was the big thing. That was something I was really impressed with this team, too, offensively. You know, I know Friday you put up the 1-3 spot in the fourth and the David Mendham home run, you only had five hit. The next two games, you had 13 hits and you had seven hits. You had 20 hits of the last two games. And it was an offense that it wasn't just one big offensive explosion. You were able to chip away, chip away, chip away and continue to frustrate these Georgia pitchers. You know, like I said, the power display was on full display. Josiah Seitler, Wes Clark, Andrew Eister, George Khalil, Brady Allen twice on Sunday, David Mendham on Friday, uh, Colin Burgess on Sunday. We all know that power's there. We, we've talked about it all season long. We all know that power's there. And again, it's, it's a luxury when, when you've got really one through nine that can go yard. I mean, the only two guys that did not go yard this weekend were Brendan Malone and Braylon Wimmer. And, hell, we know what Wimmer can do, and I think Brendan Malone's got hella pop. It's in there. It just hasn't come out this season. But this South Carolina lineup, guys, is getting to a point. You know, I think it's still far too early to make any crazy comparisons or anything, but, I mean, this is a fun team to watch. It's a fun team to watch swing it. And, you know, that. This lineup's going to have its off weekend, sure. We all know that. That's going to be the biggest key to success for this team moving forward is just can your offense show up? Will they show up consistently? But, I mean, after this weekend, and let's see if we can find, yeah, SEC games. Here's the crazy thing. You're 6-3. and three. This just goes to show you, by the way, how good the pitching's been you faced. I think that has a lot to do with it. You're 6-3 and three in the SEC, though, guys. Get this. Through three weekends, you're hitting 229 as a team. I, I would have never guessed it would have been that bad. I'll be totally honest with you. You've scored 50 runs in nine games. And you've got a 369 ERA through nine games. Been good enough to win, <laughs> but you obviously want to see that batting average jump up. But 17 home runs in those nine games as well. So even against the best pitching, you're continuing to hit the long ball, and you have 44 home runs as a team right now in 26 games. I know you guys are wondering, Chris, why on God's green earth did you not start the show with Will Sanders? I wanted to save it and be a little dramatic, but of course, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, maybe this is the biggest storyline of the weekend, Will freaking Sanders. Like I talked about earlier, you know, it's something that I think fans, please don't take it for granted. The resiliency and the fight and the character, winning with character. That attribute that this team has, the same way I'm saying that, I'll say this. Do not take it for granted what we saw Will Sanders do yesterday. I mean, you think about the stage, right? Rubber match in a big SEC series against an SEC East rival. True freshman is on the bump. And by the way, that true freshman is from the state of Georgia. And all he does is go out there 
and completely shoved. Eight-plus innings pitched, eight hits, a run, an earned run, four strikeouts, did not walk anybody. Yes, he did hit a batter, but didn't walk anybody, and he did it on 90 pitches. And I wanted him to get the CG so bad, but obviously things kind of got crazy in the ninth. And a huge shout-out, by the way, a teammate picking up a teammate and Julian Bosnick stranding the runners at second and third with nobody out. Will Sanders, I think, I know, owes Julian Bosnick a biscuit or a, or a pub sub or a cold beer. I don't know, something. He owes him something. But Will Sanders, I mean, bravo to that young man. Bravo to that young man. You truly cannot say it enough how impressive what he did Sunday was. Because the power display was great, and yes, you hit a lot of home runs, and, and offensively those last two games, Saturday and Sunday, were big. but pitching set the tone in both games. And it's like we've said over and over and over, and I will continue to say over and over and over yet again, this pitching staff is going to give you an opportunity to win every single series you play in for the rest of this year. I feel very confident saying that. They're going to give you a chance to win every weekend. The question's just going to all revolve around, do the bats show up and give you enough? How are you swinging it that weekend? And I hope you guys enjoyed it, by the way, on Sunday, watching your Friday night starter next season, because that's, that's what Will Sanders is. And he's certainly taking full control of that Sunday starter role. I don't think we're going to be seeing a TBA in the Sunday spot next weekend. Let's just put it that way. And when I watched him in the scrimmages in the preseason and, you know, watching him his first couple of outings, you knew that this guy was cut out to be that type of player. I mean, I mean, the stuff just speaks for itself, guys. And when you don't walk anybody, when you're, when you're in the zone and you're attacking the zone and, you know, you're commanding your pitches. I mean, the guy throws 95 miles an hour with run, with a nasty changeup. I mean, he didn't even hardly have to use his breaking ball. I think Colin Burgess said in the postgame the slider wasn't really working all that much. This guy basically beat Georgia with two pitches. Fastball split change or whatever he does with that changeup. I'd love to know how he grips it or whatever. I think it's a split change. But he beat him with two pitches. That's how good the stuff is. It's a simple game. You throw strikes and you have great stuff, you're going to have a lot of success. And you locate, you're going to have a lot of success. And you saw, I think, Will Sanders and Brandon Jordan do that. But tip of the freaking cap to Will Sanders, man. I I mean, just for a true – like I said, I I think fans should really show it the appreciation it deserves. For a true freshman on the road, in the rubber match, against a big-time rival, and the kid is from the state of Georgia. You know his emotions were running. I'm sure he had family there. I'm sure he had friends there. He probably knows everybody on that Georgia roster. And he went out there and shoved it up their ass. Just flat out took the baseball, shoved it up Georgia's ass. I mean, you just couldn't have asked for anything better from your true freshman. And again, just a big-time road series win, guys. And I, I, I do think offensively, you know, I was talking about the bats, whatever, weekend. I, I, I do love what I saw from the approaches on Saturday and Sunday, I think you got a lot of tough hitters in this lineup, man. You got a lot of tough hitters, a lot of really, really talented hitters. And we're starting to see these guys sort of continue to build that consistency and build that identity and really come into their own. I saw a lot of guys choking up on two strikes. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think there's been an adjustment made. I don't think it's as much a feast or famine mentality as maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Granted, maybe they were just cold a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. but. 
I feel like we saw a lot of really, really good tough at bats. Because like I said, especially Sunday, you know, that Jonathan Cannon kid, I think he's like a top 40 prospect. Like, he's pretty good. The kid had good stuff. And you were just able to chip away, chip away, chip away. You know, Brady Allen, the big home run on the first pitch of the game. Shout out to Brady. Brady Allen making me look very, very smart because he was my key player for the weekend, making me look very smart. I appreciate that, Brady. But this just, after this series win this past weekend, and like I said, I, I don't want to make any proclamations or, you know, any statements that, you know, are, are too bold for the time being, if you will. Because, again, we still got a long way to go. But this really, guys, to be honest with you, feels like a complete ball club. When you start picking it apart, you say, okay, where are the weaknesses of this South Carolina team? I mean, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your struggles. That's the game of baseball. But, like, I don't see one glaring weakness on this team. I mean, heck, even George Khalil is swinging it now. I mean, your seven, eight, nine guys are swinging it damn near better than your one, two, three. It's crazy. You're starting to see this ball club really coming to its own. And this team was already talented. And now you're six and three in the SEC. And now you've seen your team go on the road and get a big-time road SEC series win. You think the confidence isn't starting to build with this group? You're getting more confidence, more confidence, which leads to more success, which leads to more confidence, and it's a snowball effect. And that's a really good combo when you got success and confidence and you got really, really talented ballplayers. That is a good concoction. That is a good mixture. So, again, big-time road series win, 6-3 and three in the SEC. And I'll tell you this, guys. If you'd have told me, I think, what did I say? I, I think I said, I, I'm pretty sure I said before Vandy, Florida, Georgia, you got to come out at that at minimum 5-4. and four. That's what I said. You got to find a way to be 5-4. and four. Go, go at least be 5-4. and four. Well, you're 6-3. and three. So, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. If you can average a series win in the SEC, if you can do that for the entire season, folks, we're going to be hosting a regional. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. South Carolina is going to be hosting a regional at the end of the year. I promise you, if you do that. So, again, a big-time series win, man. And, again, it feels so good to beat the dogs. And I, I, here's a fun stat I wanted to point out, guys, by the way, because, you know, we're, we're talking here on a Monday. And, of course, tomorrow, literally, you're back at it in a big-time midweek game taking on the North Carolina Tar Heels in Charlotte. We all know South Carolina's history there at, at, at BB&T Stadium and, or BB&T Field, whatever they call it. Anyways, just at BB&T, just how, how, how rough the history's been there and how, how bad South Carolina's played. But get this. I was looking at this, and it, it blew my mind. South Carolina only used seven arms all weekend, right? You used Thomas Farr, Bosnick, Peters, and Sweat on Friday, correct? Okay. You threw, that's four. You threw Jordan and Carey on Saturday. That's six. And you threw Sanders and then Bosnick again. On Sunday, you threw seven arms the entire weekend. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, it doesn't feel like, I was like, it doesn't feel like a lot of guys pitched. Not really. And just to compare it, Georgia used eight arms on Friday night alone in this series. 
And, of course, that's a result of, you know, your starters had a ton of success on Saturday and Sunday. You don't have to use a ton of bullpen guys. You know, when you throw it well and your starters do well, you don't have to use a ton of bullpen guys. But all hands on deck for that game tomorrow night in Charlotte. You can throw anybody you want. I think Jack Mahoney will probably get the start, but everybody should be good to go. Heck, you could throw Andy Peters if you want. You know, he threw Friday. He'll be good to go on Tuesday. You could throw probably Brett Carey again. You could throw – I mean, heck, you got everybody else in the bullpen. <laughs> you know, the Wesley Sweats, the Parker Coins, the John Gilrees, the Mag Cottos. You got plenty of guys. So, I thought just a crazy stat, though. But, again, all hands will be on deck for that midweek game against the North Carolina Tar Heels. All right, let's move in our TSUS Series MVP. And I know this is one I saw a lot of you guys after that Sunday game kind of debating on who it should be, who should be the top performer, who should be the MVP of the weekend. And I went back and I combed through the stats Friday through Sunday. And did you have a few hitters that shined that had a great weekend? Sure. You know, George Khalil had a good weekend. Brady Allen had a good weekend. Um, you know, there's other guys. Josiah Seitler, West Coast. You had a ton of guys in your lineup that had really, really good weekends. But – the performance to me that stands out that this guy deserves the MVP. No questions asked in my mind. And that is Will Sanders, who I mentioned earlier. That performance in yesterday's game deserves all of the recognition, all of the credit, all of the praise. Again, Will Sanders, eight-plus innings pitched, eight hits, one run, one earned, four strikeouts, no walks. He did hit a guy, but no walks on 90 pitches. And again, it's not even about, yes, the performance was outstanding. It was a really easy game for Will outside of the ninth inning, but a really, you know, really easy game. And I mean, heck, the one run that he gave up, and I don't blame Josiah Seitler, but it was kind of on a bad luck play. You know, Josiah Seitler dies for it. He takes a risk. What's maybe a single, if he just tries to field it normal, is a triple. You know, next batter basically hits a swinging suicide squeeze that Brennan Malone makes the proper play on, but he's able to score on it. But, I mean, Will Sanders was dominant. And, again, was it anything flashy? Was it crazy? Did he strike out 15 guys? No. He just pitched. Just let his, he just let his stuff eat. He just let his stuff work, bottom line. Only had four strikeouts, but he let his stuff eat. And like I said, when you consider the fact that not only was it a great performance – but when you think about the stakes and what was on the line, again, rubber match. It's a huge SEC East rival. I mean, we hate Georgia, right? So it's already a rivalry. The rubber match and a rivalry game on the road. Kid's a true freshman. It's only his second weekend start of his career. Okay? And, like I said, the thing you have to remember is he's from the state of Georgia. You know the emotions are running high for this kid. And he just goes out and shoves like it's nothing. Yes, you had guys swing it really well this weekend, but the pitching set the tone, and that was certainly the case on Sunday. So, again, my TSUS Series MVP for not just having a great performance, but having a great performance in the pressure with what was at stake. Will Sanders, to me, guys, it's a no-brainer. So, again, my TSUS Series MVP – is Will Sanders. Let's move into slap dick of the weekend because this one's interesting. This this one, I, I had to rattle my brain a little bit because they're really, you know, kudos to everybody on the field this weekend. There really wasn't anybody that stood out and did anything 
that slap dick of nature this week. And so good job, by the way, from UGA. That's very unlike them. You'd think with Georgia, it'd be easy to find this award. But so, <laughs> something I tweeted about that hit me on Sunday that, uh, I don't know, I feel like this deserves the award. Like I said, guys, I was kind of scrambling, like, who's going to get the slap dick of the weekend award? My slap dick of the weekend goes to the Georgia uniforms. I, I mean, Georgia might literally have the worst uniforms in all of college baseball. And for those that know me, they know I'm a big uniform guy, especially in baseball. Georgia's uniforms, it looks like a school that impromptu decided to have a baseball program. And they were just like, screw it. We'll, we'll, we'll just like, they put no creativity in the uniforms. I mean, absolutely not. There's not a baseball logo. There's not cool script. There's not cursive. There's not pinstripes. Literally nothing. I mean, it's the most basic white, red, and black. The Georgia cartoon G. The ugly as hell football font and numbers on the unis. It's just terrible. It's it's bad all the way around. <laughs> it's just bro, it's just bad all the way around. And the number placement on the Sunday, you it was just terrible, just bad. It's just it's almost kind of weird to me, guys. Like when schools don't have a baseball specific logo. Um, there's some schools that can get away with it much better than others, but I don't know that Georgia G on a baseball uni just just looks it looks strange. It looks weird. It looks unnatural and again like I said the thing with the dogs is they did not even try to have any creative unis they didn't even try to do like a cursive like how we have Carolina and we have Gamecocks and they didn't do anything so again whoever made Georgia's uniforms whoever continues to make Georgia's uniforms you sir or madam <laughs> Georgia's uniform. You're the slap big of the weekend. You get the award this week, so whatever. All right, let's move into who's hot, who's not. Who's hot, guys? I could not miss out on the opportunity to give him this award because I think I had him as who's hot, who's not last weekend. It's George Khalil. How, how about this dude, huh? Swinging a hot bat, four for 10, had a home run and two RBIs on the weekend. Um, again, I did not expect to ever be sitting here talking to you guys and talking about George Khalil being on a hot streak. I did not. But that's currently where we are. And George, how about George Khalil's gotten his average all the way up to 233? And you might scoff at that and say, oh, 233. But this dude was hitting like 190 like a week ago. So 233 in the season, two home runs, eight RBIs. Again, had a big home run Saturday against the Dogs. And uh, also had a big game on Sunday. So, overall, good on you, Georgie. Good on you. Love to see it. I'm happy to see it. Nobody deserves it more than George Khalil. And, uh, yeah, two RBI, too, on Saturday. Big swing and a bat. So, who's hot? George Khalil, four for ten, a homer, two RBIs. Who's not? And, again, nobody take this personally. Everybody's going to get this award at some point, by the way. So, just, it is what it is. But, Who's not? Got to go with Braylon Wimmer. I thought he swung it a lot better later in the weekend, but two for 13 on the weekend with an RBI. I believe that was on a sack fly. But, uh, yeah, not Braylon's best weekend. Two for 13 with a ribby. He'll be fine. It's no big. Yeah, everybody's going to have an off weekend. It, it is what it is. Um, he'll be good. But, again, 
who's hot, George Khalil, who's not, Bradley Wimmer. What's next for South Carolina baseball? A big week this week. The Gamecocks travel to Charlotte tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, first pitch on the SEC Network to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. And, of course, tomorrow's show will focus on that game, that matchup. We'll break that thing down in its entirety. And, of course, you return to SEC action this weekend back at Founders Park against the Missouri Tigers, who Mizzou, by the way, and we'll break them down later this week. But do not sleep on Mizzou. They took two out of three from Texas A&M, which shocked me. Because I said after last weekend that, quote, Mizzou is hot dog water. I literally said that. But that's a ball club that's obviously got some life. So, again, a big week for Carolina. That Tuesday game tomorrow night against North Carolina. The border war. And can the Gamecocks finally snap their ugly losing streak in Charlotte? They've just never played well there for whatever reason. And, of course, like I said, the weekend series against Mizzou. So that's going to wrap up my series recap again, guys. Gamecocks taking two out of three from the Georgia Bulldogs to hell with Georgia. Feels good to say that. We've had basketball. We've had baseball. Man, it just feels good to beat the hell out of Georgia. All right, let's move to the hardwood, guys. And unfortunately, women's basketball, their season has come to an end. Losing to Stanford on Friday in the Final Four, 66-65. to I mean, what else can you say, man? You can say the refs jobbed us. You can say we didn't play well enough. You can say just a tough L, just tough, just tough. And, uh, you know, the ladies had a great season. You know, I said, wake me up when we get to the Final Four. Well, they got to the Final Four and took on a really tough Stanford team. And that Stanford team is really, really good, by the way. But, you know, seeing Aaliyah Boston crying at the end of the game, heartbreaking, devastating. But uh, this team will be back. There's no question. Dawn Staley's squad, her her. Her uh, her team will be back. I mean, there's no doubt. I don't think any of us doubt that at all. They're continuing to recruit. They're continuing to to do great things, if you will. So they'll be back. There's no question. But, uh, you know, really tough. And, of course, a lot of questionable calls. I know the one picture we posted on Saturday of the, uh, the kickball that wasn't, if you will, that uh, Stanford got away with. And there were some other ones. There were some pushes. There were some things that happened, you know, here and there. But, uh you know, just a tough way for the season to end. I, I know we all, we all would have loved to have seen, which I guess UConn didn't even win. Arizona beat them. So, um, you know, we would have loved to have seen South Carolina get to the final and, and get a shot at the national championship. And But just wasn't meant to be this year. So, again, congrats. I, I more so want to use this time to say congrats to Dawn Staley and her team on a great season. Have nothing to be ashamed of. They have nothing to hold their heads about. I mean, it was a, it was a phenomenal year. And, uh you know, sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and sometimes it's not meant to be. And unfortunately, that was the case this year. So, again, Gamecocks women's basketball, their season coming to an end. They lose to Stanford on Friday in the Final Four. All right, guys, a couple of news and notes, and then we'll get into your listener questions in our interview. Chico Carter Jr. committing to men's basketball. God forbid some positive men's basketball news. The Gamecocks picking up a commitment. I believe it was on Saturday. From Chico Carter Jr., the transfer from Murray State. He's actually from... Columbia, so a local guy. Uh, Gamecocks make top 12 for Kamari Wilson, five-star safety, a 2022 prospect. Obviously, be big to get him. Um, Gamecocks, though, make the top 12 with a host of other schools, of course, but definitely something to keep an eye on. And one last note, guys, one thing I want to mention. Um, you know, obviously, of course, I was out and about Friday celebrating the reopening of Pinch, which, you know, rest in peace, my buddy, Easy. They were able to get that place back open. And, and what a job they've done, by the way. Shout out to that staff and everybody who works there and who, uh, who you know, had a hand in reopening and, and renovating. And, I mean, you wouldn't even recognize it if you went in there. But uh, 
RIP Moosehead. Moosehead officially closing down. Um, I'm going to say something that, you know, if you've got virgin ears or if you have a kid in the car, you might want to mute it. Um, but fuck Dick Carpoodling. You know what I mean? That's really all you can say. Just to hell with him. It's uh, it's a shame, man. It's unfortunate. You know, I got a lot of friends that work in the service industry and that, you know, they depend on that as their livelihood. And I mean, I know a lot of people that, I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, that find a lot of joy in going to those places. And, you know, just unfortunate, man. It's just unfortunate. It's just flat out unfortunate. So, um, RIP Moose said, I know all, all of us that, you know, my, my good buddy, John Lamont, you know, he's a really, really good friend of mine. And, and, uh, you know, really, really tough, really tough. Anyways, RIP Moose said, all right, guys, let's get in your listener questions and we'll knock this thing out. And we'll get in our interview. Sladen Jack, so far, what do you think about the recruiting class Shane Beamer is putting together? I mean, I feel confident about Shane Beamer on the recruiting trail right now. I, I think that, you know, you cannot judge, as we talked about with Connor O'Gara last week, you can't judge Shane Beamer on the job that he did on recruiting in this last class because, I mean, he, with the early signing period, he had no time to recruit. It was impossible. So I think you're going to see South Carolina as soon as this next class. I think they're going to get back into the top 25. I'd be absolutely shocked, shocked if they're not. So I, I'm happy with everything Coach Beamer's doing. I expect the Gamecocks to get back to normal when it comes to recruiting in this next recruiting cycle. Crusty um, Andy, biggest improvement our baseball team needs to make? The biggest improvement I'd probably just say is just more consistency at the plate. Um, you know, continuing to put together good at bats and, you know, I would just say not be so reliant on the home run at times. Again, I'm not saying hitting home runs is a bad thing because it's not. I mean, this team obviously just has a ton of pop, but being able to manufacture runs other ways, I think offensively is still the biggest area where you can continue to improve. I mean, like I said, guys, you're six and three. And as happy as we are with everything right now, you're hitting 272 as a ball club. You're hitting 229 in SEC play. So, of course, there's room there's room for improvement when it comes to swinging the bats in the SEC. Um, and you're going to have a good opportunity when you take on Mizzou at home, you know, not quite the arms you've seen the last couple of weekends, especially the first two with, with Vandy and Florida. So, I wonder, will the numbers start to get better these next couple of weekends for the Gamecocks? But, uh, you know, just continuing to fight, scratch, and claw and put together good at bats, man. Because, again, it's the SEC – there's really good arms all over the place, and it, it's it's a challenge to score runs. But that's definitely, I think, the one area for this baseball team they can improve the most. Um, Charlie Allen underscore Tim, what's the weakness on this baseball team? Pitching, defense, or offense? And that's what I'm saying, guys. Like, I don't look at it as a weakness. Like, I, I don't think there is a weakness on this ball club. Are there things that, again, like I said, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be things. There's still, of course, things that continue to improve on I me. Mean, you're never a finished product, but – do I look at anything on this team and say, wow, that's a glaring weakness right now? Not really. Not really. And I, I, I don't say that as like an overconfidence or a cockiness, but like I like this team top to bottom, and I think this is a complete ball club. I think this really, really is a complete ball club, and, uh, you know, I feel good about this team moving forward, man. I really do. Caleb Jennings, 0-2, how good is the baseball team actually? I think they're damn good, man. I, I think this could be a team that could host a regional, no questions asked. Let's see, Walker underscore House. If you're in your opinion, if we want to be legitimate contenders to make an Omaha, what has to be done? I, I just keep playing, bro. <laughs> keep improving. I mean, you know, the biggest thing when it comes to making it to Omaha, you know, when you get to postseason play is, you know, great pitching beats great hitting. You're going to have your, your arms, you're going to have to have your arms throw their best baseball. But like I said, I mean, I like the pitching depth. I, Dude, I think the trio of Thomas Farr, Brandon Jordan, and Will Sanders, with what you're seeing Will Sanders do as a true freshman, it's as good as any in the SEC. I mean, why can't it be? 
You know? I mean, yeah, Thomas Farr is running some bad luck, but he's pitching his ass off. Brandon Jordan has been phenomenal through three weeks in the SEC. And Will Sanders, like I said, taking over that Sunday role, what he's doing, it speaks for itself. And then you got guys out of the bullpen like Jack Mahoney and Julian Bosnick and Andy Peters and Danny Lloyd and and uh, and Brett Carey. And, I mean, you just got guys on guys right now. So, you know, it, it's tough to say. You know, you want me to give you, like, the, 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 the bullet points of what you got to do to get to Omaha Bro, you just got to keep playing and keep improving and keep getting better and keep getting after it, and that's it, man. Just see where you end up at the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, I, I like this team a lot, man. I'm not sitting here predicting they're going to go to Omaha or anything because, again, once you get to the postseason, it's kind of a crapshoot. It's about matchups. It's how does your pitching match up, you know, whatever, and you got to stay healthy. And there's a lot of things that need to continue to evolve and improve and happen. But this is a postseason ball club, and there's no question about it. This, this, I picked this team in the preseason to go to the Super Regionals for a reason. I think you're seeing that. All right, last question here. Uh, Spencer Sox, one says, not a question, but hats off to the bottom of the lineup for a great Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, no, you make a great point, man. That, that is a fantastic point. Again, something I started talking about last week, and we've seen the bottom of the lineup really, really come alive with the, the, the bats of Colin Burgess, you know, Jeff Heinrich when he's in there, Brennan Malone when he's in there, George Khalil. And it just, I mean, I know it may sound like an obvious statement, but, man, it just it just makes this lineup so dangerous and so lethal and just you cannot take a hitter off when it comes to this Gamecocks lineup. They've shown you one through nine can beat you. One through nine can take you yard, and, and that is a hell of a luxury to have if you're Mark Kings in the South Carolina Baseball Club for sure. Um, all right, guys, going to go ahead and wrap it up. Appreciate you all tuning in. we got a phenomenal conversation, though, so do not go anywhere. Great interview, former voice of the Gamecocks for basketball and baseball. And, of course, guys, if you've been a Gamecock fan for any period of time, you've heard this guy's voice before. He called the back-to-back national championships in baseball, had some great basketball calls as well. He currently is the voice of the Yellow Jackets at Georgia Tech. Andy Demetra, which I know a lot of you wish he was still here. Andy does a phenomenal job for Georgia Tech, did a phenomenal job for South Gun. And, again, the conversation was absolutely electric. It was great to hear his voice again. Again, I don't know how you can hear Andy Demetra's voice and not have a good day. Just brings back good memories, right? It brings back great memories. So, guys, sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with Andy Demetra. It's brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. Guys, I'm talking about ball trimmers, of course. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming have an exclusive offer for our audience, guys. Use the promo code TSUS. That's promo code TSUS to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Guys, join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you're trimmed and smelling nice. After all, guys, it is time for spring cleaning, guys. And spring is sprung. Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Again, there's nothing worse, guys. We've all been there. We're trimming, we're grooming, we're doing whatever, we're taking care of our junk downstairs. We get a nick, we get a cut, we're bleeding, it burns. It's just no bueno. It's not good. Manscaped guys, they're the global leaders in men's blow the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. And guys, they're here to help you with your above the waist holes too. Guys, have you heard of their weed whack? The nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more grass, gross nose hairs, I should say. Flying in the wind. Guys, the premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary, rotary, I should say, excuse me, dual blade system. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time 
to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. And guys, speaking of incredible hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day long. Guys, the Crop Preserver, it's an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer. It's starting to get hot, and this is crucial, guys, to your ball's Stop sticking to your leg. That's legit the worst. We all know. We've all been there. It sucks. You're also going to find the Crop Reviver, which is spray-on toner for your balls, which is going to keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And guys, speaking of smelling fresh, complete your grooming game this spring with a new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. Guys, this stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. I know a couple of you have already bought it. Ask them. Guys, the cologne is legendary. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's light. It's approachable. And gentlemanly, in all the right ways, guys, you'll be the talk of the next quarantine hang. Guys, smell good. Feel good this spring. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, it's spring cleaning, and your balls will thank you. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. And again, we thank our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great Monday. Now, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks play-by-play announcer, Andy Demetra. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, very excited. He's a graduate from Syracuse University in 2003, had two separate stints in Columbia, guys. He was at South Carolina calling South Carolina women's hoops from 2003 to 2006 and then returned as South Carolina's main play-by-play guy for both baseball and basketball from 2009 to 2016. In August of 2016, he moved on to Georgia Tech and became the voice of the Yellow Jackets, where he currently serves today. And, of course, guys, you'll remember his voice from some infamous calls, especially from the Gamecocks, back-to-back national championships in baseball, those great runs in Omaha. Very pleased to be joined by former South Carolina play-by-play guy and current voice of the Yellow Jackets, Andy Demetri. Andy, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you so much. Now, if this is podcast episode number 413 for you, I take that to mean that I was 413th on your guest list, which frankly is still even a little too high for me. So I'm very flattered uh, that, that you would invite me. No, seriously, I appreciate you coming on, Andy. And I will say it's it's great to hear your voice because I have nothing but fond memories of your voice in my eardrum. So this is this brings pleasant memories back into my mind. So thank you so much for that. But Andy, I actually want to go back to the beginning for you when you went to Syracuse and you graduated in 2003, because I'd love to hear a little bit more about your path and kind of your journey to, you know, that led you to South Carolina and obviously where you are today serving with Georgia Tech. You know, when you were in school, I guess you, you majored in broadcast journalism. You kind of always had an idea you wanted to do this. But once you graduated, what was the path like for you? I guess, what was the plan for Andy Demetri? And did you always kind of know in the back of your mind, hey, this is something I'm really passionate about and, and want to pursue and want to do as a career? It's a great question because the plan was originally not radio. Um, I, when I graduated, I had these wayward ambitions of wanting to be the next sports center anchor. Um, and, and when I graduated that summer, I, all of my my demo reels that I had sent out were to TV stations seeking sports anchors, sports reporters, sports photographer jobs. I was either oblivious to or ignorant of the fact that when I graduated, I looked roughly 15 years old, which probably affected my prospects of finding gainful employment. But I had sent my, my demo tape out to about 75 television stations before I stopped counting because I didn't get a single callback. And midway through that summer, I thought, mm, you know, maybe I should put out my radio demo just in case. And the majority of my, my media experience in college was on the radio at our campus radio station, 
doing play-by-play because we had a really cool arrangement where our student-run radio station could broadcast every football and men's basketball and lacrosse game alongside the paid commercial network. Um, so I'd accumulated a fair number of play-by-play reps. I enjoyed doing it, but I never viewed play-by-play and certainly not radio play-by-play as a viable way to, to earn a living. But when you're batting over, as I was, <laughs> uh, pursuing television jobs, the decision is kind of made for you. So started wallpapering my demo out to every place that had openings or didn't have openings. And one of the jobs that came open late that summer was the South Carolina women's basketball job. Was I the most talented person who applied for that gig? Probably not. Was I the most experienced person? Definitely not. But uh, I'm very grateful they took a chance on a a 22-year-old knucklehead who was fresh off the turnip truck from Illinois. And that's how I initially came down to, uh, to South Carolina. Did you ever get the you have the face for radio jokes? Uh, I still get it. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like that's like the go-to joke for everyone when they talk about radio gods and stuff like that. But again, I, I, I like to say I'm better heard than seen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No. So, Andy, you get to uh, you get to Columbia. Obviously, again, you call women's basketball from 2003 to 2006. And again, we were joking. This was pre-Dawn Staley era. And how, my, oh, my, how much different things look now uh, than they looked then. But I guess, what did you learn? That was your first gig, like you said, obviously, and you're a young 22-year-old kid. What did you learn most from that first gig that when you took over in Columbia? Well, let me say this first. I I will always be indebted to South Carolina for being the school that that first took a chance on me. Um, And so that's why I have such a deep fondness for South Carolina, because without them, I don't know where I would have been in broadcasting. And those three years were kind of like grad school for me. You, Mm -hmm. You get thrust into being a play-by-play voice for a program, you really develop your voice and your identity on air. Um, And you understand what it means to develop a connection with your audience, because these are people who are listening to you game in and game out. You're able to develop that connection with them and you learn what it takes to have a presence on the air in a way that will keep those fans coming back and listening to you. And so it was just a, a great training ground for me where I was able to, to develop my craft and uh, gain a lot of, of hands-on experience, uh, calling basketball and learning what it takes to be a, a voice of a program. And I think that's such a, a valuable skill as you move on in the business um, to know what it takes to connect with an audience. So uh, while you never let your record dictate your worth as a broadcaster, you never let that affect the, the, the quality and depth of your preparation. Um, you gain so much from from being on the air, game in and game out. And uh, I, I look back on those three years really, really fondly. Uh, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of the people who are involved with the program, even from those years. I mean, we were trading texts uh, this week when Georgia Tech and South Carolina were playing in the uh, in the Sweet 16 of the women's tournament. So it's it's an era that I look back on very fondly in my career. Now, Andy, I'd love to, for you to expand a little bit. We were joking a little bit off air about the state of the women's program when you were calling it. Because, again, I think a lot of people don't even – I mean, I didn't really even remember. I was like, what was women's basketball like before Dawn Staley? Like, he, it's like the archaic times. You don't remember the days. Just expand on – again, you were joking a little bit off air, but just the the state of the program then and I guess how crazy it is to see what Dawn Staley has turned it into. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. My, my first two years, they were 3-25 and 25 in the SEC. So uh, I was on the, the, the wrong end of a lot of lopsided games, unfortunately, uh, during my first two years there. And, I, you know, the, you always have the diehards, the people who are, are so passionate. I mean, you know that in South Carolina. And they're going to be there, rain or shine, win or lose. 
And uh, I think the crowds at, at certain games were so sparse where some of the fans who were seated behind the South Carolina bench could hear me do the play-by-play when somebody <laughs> was at the free throw line. And so I remember our, our sports information director at the time telling me, yeah, you know, I could overhear some of the fans behind me chiding you to, to, to keep your voice down while they were shooting free throws because evidently you could – you can hear me clear across the court. So, yeah, times times have certainly changed where you go from that atmosphere to uh, perennially lead the nation in attendance like Don Asset. For sure. Now, Andy, I, I want to touch on this as well because we mentioned off-air again, 2005 and 2006, you were named South Carolina Broadcasters Association Radio Sportscaster of the Year. You became the youngest recipient of the award in the organization's 60-year history. I'll ask you, what did that honor mean to you, and do you feel like it was something where – you sort of had a knack for it. Like, it kind of came naturally to you. Obviously, as a play-by-play guy, you're always kind of sharpening it. It's just like anything else. It's a skill, right? You develop it. You know, like you said, you build your voice. You kind of build your brand, if you will. But what did that mean to you to get recognized in that way? Well, those awards prove that, that they'll give an award to almost anybody. Um, so, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, but, no, I, I think when you're a young broadcaster, um, this business can really do a number on your self-esteem. You're trying to – to build your reputation. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always a very harshly self-critical person when it comes to my play-by-play, but um, to be honored by your peers like that, I, I think for me being so young in my career, it was uh, good validation that the work I was putting in was paying off. Um, you know, I, I always have the mindset of wanting to make my next broadcast a little better than my last. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to be recognized like that, I think it was, kind of proof of that concept that, that the things I was doing and the preparation I was making, um, it, it was, it was being heard. Um, and so it was just, it was a nice little boost of confidence for me. Cause I still knew that I had a long way to go in my play by play. I still feel like I have a long way to go in my play by play. That's just how I'm wired. But, uh, you know, to get, to get those, uh, those awards, um, was really special for me at, at that point in my career. Now, Andy, 2007 and 2008, where were you at after South Carolina after that first stint? So I moved up to the company headquarters of what was then ISP Sports. It's now Learfield IMG College. I got in a full-time position in their audio division. Uh, when I was in South Carolina, I was still an independent contractor. I was getting paid per game. So when the season ended, so did my paychecks. And from March to November, I was cobbling together all sorts of freelance gigs and part-time jobs, temp jobs to, uh, to make ends meet. So ISP presented me with the chance to um, – to, to, to be on the salary for them, uh, working in their audio division. Uh, and spent three years there uh, doing a lot of studio work, a lot of production, a little bit of scattered play-by-play there. But uh, even when I left South Carolina, uh, I'd had such a wonderful experience there that I thought if there was an opportunity for me to get back, uh, whenever that may be, that I would jump at that chance. I was very fortunate in 2009 that uh, the men's basketball baseball job came open and, uh, you know, had a previous relationship with the university, which which helped and uh, was able to get back down there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, was there any doubt in your mind when that came open and they contacted you? I mean, was there even any second guessing on your end whether you were going to take that job or not? No, not at all. Um, and, and when I interviewed, I said, if you hire me, I guarantee you we will win a national championship my first year. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, but, uh, but uh, no, it was, uh, it, I, I had really just developed such a fondness with the community and university uh, and it meshed so well with the people there that uh, you still hold those feelings dear to you. Uh, and so when that job came open, yeah, it, it, it didn't require a whole lot of thought to know that I wanted to put my, my name in the ring for it. 
Now, Andy, uh, switching gears a little bit, because I, I think it's maybe too too much to say that a play-by-play announcer is only as good as the teams he's covering is, but it certainly helps your case, right? When you're in big games and you're in big moments, and that's you know that's certainly going to you know speed up that process of building your brand and having those great calls. You know, people love to listen to a winner, right? You obviously know that, but I think back to when you were at South Carolina, and like you said, I mean, you got there at a perfect time because I, I would really argue, and I think most South Carolina fans would agree. 09 to 2013, but even beyond that, but really that was like the peak of South Carolina athletics across the board. I mean, we think of what Steve Spurrier was doing, obviously Ray Tanner, the back-to-back titles. You hire Frank Martin, I believe it was in 2012. Dawn Staley gets there. She starts to build the program, and I I think of the year, I think it was 2010, you beat, you know, three number one teams across the three different sports. Like how – I mean, were you sitting there thinking to yourself, like, this is the dream scenario? I mean, I know you weren't covering football necessarily, but just the excitement, the buzz on campus, and obviously everybody it felt like was winning. Like, how awesome was that for you just being amidst great coaches, great teams? And obviously it made your job great. Oh, yeah. You know, I've always joked that the more you win, the better everybody thinks you sound. <laughs> and so I was very fortunate, yeah. especially in 2010, 2011 with baseball, that, that people thought I sounded pretty good. But that uh, 99% of that had to do with, with Ray Tanner and what the baseball team was accomplishing. Yeah, that was uh, an unbelievable period of prosperity with South Carolina athletics. And, uh, you know, it, it made you really excited uh, to wake up knowing there was a game, whether it was at williams Bryce or Colonial Life Arena or or Founders Park, uh, it was just a, a great time to be to be affiliated with with the athletic department, knowing that South Carolina was emerging into a uh, a national power and a nationally recognized brand across so many sports. It made you very grateful that uh, that you could be part of that. No question. Now, Andy, I'm curious again. Switching gears, kind of an off the wall question: When you make a call for a big moment, say when Whit Merrifield's walk off, or 2011 when South Carolina went back to back, or current day now when you call Georgia Tech. Is it something where you kind of, you know, again, you're building a brand and a reputation, if you will. Is it kind of something where, because there's a lot of broadcasters and play-by-play guys that sort of have their their things they say, right? Like, like they're kind of their go-tos. Is it something for you where you want to develop that or build that or you kind of think beforehand, hey, if this happens, I'll say this? Or for you, is it more just natural and organic and you just sort of go with the moment? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, 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 my mind is always going. And so even if I'm just like walking around or running or doing some errand, Mm -hmm. I might have some idea of how I want to describe a moment. Uh, If it's a dunk or if it's a home run uh, and just put a a creative flourish on it and I'll jot it down uh, in in a book that I always keep on my person. And you have those in your back pocket. And um, when that right moment arrives during a broadcast, you hope that it triggers something in your mind where you're able to to reach out and, and use that. Um, so in that sense, sometimes you have these things preloaded in the back of your mind. Uh, but then there are those moments in the game that just come organically. Um, and, and you'd reference, uh, which walk off in, in Omaha. And I've been asked, you know, did you think of that call beforehand? And, and my answer was really, it was not really, uh, which I know sounds like a hedge, but what I mean by that is I, I didn't have a final call all scripted out word for word in my mind because I was worried about doing something that would sound contrived or over-rehearsed or not authentic to the moment. And also I'd become so superstitious by that point in South Carolina's run, as I'm sure so many fans had, that I didn't want to have this elegant final call all crafted in my mind, ready to roll, only for UCLA to win the next two games. And I feel forever (laughs) responsible for prolonging the chicken curse. So 
in that one in particular, the only vague idea I had in my mind was, was something about a weight being over. But that was as much thought as I'd put into it. And then that moment arrives where Scott Wingo is crossing home plate and I blurt out the game is over. The game is over because I'm in disbelief like everybody else that, oh, my gosh, South Carolina just won the doggone thing. And some synapse then fired off in my brain, which said, hey, dummy, the, the game isn't just over. The wait is over. And that's how it came out of my mouth. The game is over. The wait is over. The Gamecocks are the national champions. So uh, you want to allow for some creative freedom and an ability to read that moment authentically as a broadcaster. But, you know, if you're you're wired creatively, you're constantly going to be probing for, for cool ways that you can describe a moment. And when that moment comes in the broadcast, hopefully you're ready for it. and You can deliver it in a way that that uh, that, that that makes a connection with people. Yeah, and Andy, I'll tell you, I watched that highlight this morning and the back-to-back for the Garnet and Black, and it gave, it gave me chills yet again. And I'm sure it gives all Gamecock fans chills and what South Carolina baseball did. But again, your call obviously being an integral part of that. And people forget, too, it's funny, I joke with the uh, the former South Carolina baseball players that I get on that were part of that 2012 team. I'm like, you almost called three straight. I mean, people forget yeah. South Carolina went to the finals, but it's funny, that's the forgotten team because they didn't win the whole thing. But from the play-by-play perspective, but also just, Andy, from the sports fan perspective, which I know you are, you know, I think what South Carolina did 10 to 12 in baseball will never be done again. I mean, 22 straight, I think, postseason wins, um, an absurd winning streak in Omaha. Just talk about just how crazy it was witnessing that, being a part of that. You talked about the superstitions and everything. And again, I've talked to so many former players on those teams, how you know, 10 had a different feeling than 11, than 12, but it just doesn't take away to just how crazy that run was. It's like South Carolina could not lose in the postseason for that three-year stretch. Yeah, I, I don't think that streak will ever be mashed again in college baseball where you win 22 consecutive games in the NCAA tournament. I remember looking this up maybe a couple of summers ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we might have been coming up on the 10-year anniversary of, of the walk-off in Omaha. And of those 22 wins, I think South Carolina faced nine or 10 starters who eventually made the majors. So to not only win 22 straight, but in almost half of those games, you're facing somebody who is good enough to make the show. It was just an absurd stretch. And yeah, there was a certain amount of, of fortunate breaks that South Carolina got along the way. But man, they just delivered time and again in the clutch where even in a game like baseball where three times out of 10, you get a hit that's considered a success Mm. to win 22 straight under those circumstances. And with those stakes, I don't think you'll ever see something like that again. Yeah. It's, it's beyond comprehension for sure. I mean, again, I mentioned the great coaches that were on campus while you're there, Andy of Steve Spurrier, Ray Tanner, Don Staley, Frank Martin, talk about your most memorable interactions with those coaches. Again, I know you're doing the play-by-play thing, but of course you do pre-game, post-game interviews with these guys. And I know you weren't necessarily on the play-by-play for football, but I'm sure you rub shoulders with Steve Spurrier more than once. But again, it was exciting time for South Carolina and with these great coaches, great players, great teams. Just talk about some of your favorite memories from the coaches specifically and your interactions with them. Well, I always tell people Steve Spurrier was the exact same guy ambling down the hallways of Williams Bryce as he was at the podium at press conferences. Mm-hmm. So he was a just a really genuine guy. Always enjoyed my interactions with him. Uh, with Frank, you know, Frank, uh, when that whistle blows and he steps across the line, he is as easygoing and warm a guy as you could hope to be. And uh, I still stay in touch with Frank every now and again. We'll shoot texts to each other. 
uh, just a, a really solid human being and a solid citizen and, and always enjoyed talking with him, uh, you know, doing our Carolina calls where you can just sit and pick his brain for, for 60 minutes. And, uh, you know, boy, whenever he, he chooses to write a biography about his life or, or somebody else writes it or he writes his own autobiography, uh, some of the stories that he can tell about uh, just fr from his beginnings to, to the peaks that he reached at South Carolina, uh, it, it is worthy of a book. And then, you know, uh, with Ray and then Chad after him, always very generous with their time. And, you know, what I appreciated about uh, all the coaches that I've worked with, uh, and you don't get this everywhere, they understood kind of what I was about uh, as a broadcaster. And I, I think they understood that I was wanting always to paint their program and their student athletes in the best possible light. And you don't always get that trust from coaches. And so that they were extending their trust to me and were able to, to share, you know, little nuances and, and details that they might not have otherwise wanted to, to give up. Um, I always appreciated that because it helped make my job uh, a, a lot better in, in what I could convey and, and the information that I could share. So um, without their cooperation, I don't think our broadcast would have had quite the same quite the same feel to them. So uh, with all those guys, I have nothing but warm memories of, of dealing with them. Andy, you speak on Frank and the basketball program. I've got to ask you, because again, you, you went to Georgia tech in 2016. Um, and obviously that, that, that has, that decision has paid off well for you. The voice of the yellow jackets are doing a great job with them, but did you ever spring of 2017 where you're like, darn, I, I just missed that final four run. I just missed it. Yeah, I, I should, in addition to those other awards you had mentioned, I think I have the Great Timing Award somewhere here. Up. <laughs> yeah, for, for leaving South Carolina. But I, I'll say this. I was so thrilled for Frank and his coaches and those players. I was so thrilled for Derek and Casey that they had the chance to, to call that run. Um, and, and I was watching every single game of that NCAA tournament. And, boy, I was so fired up for them, knowing where – he had taken the program and, and the heights to which they had reached. Um, and, and even then at, at Georgia Tech, um, you know, that year we had made the NIT championship game. And people might scoff about that. Mm -hmm. But at Georgia Tech that year, my first year here, they were picked preseason 14th in the ACC. Uh, one of the National College basketball writers predicted, predicted that South Carolina, that Georgia Tech would not win a single conference game. Uh, so we not only defy those expectations, but we get to the NIT and then go on a really inspiring run of our own. Um, and that was a really likable team. And we're able to spend a week in New York at the NIT. It's funny. We check in to the exact same hotel where South Carolina was staying for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. They had the decals for the NCAA tournament on the elevator doors. And I remember as we're checking in, they're just leaving. Um, and I see some of the people that I remembered uh, meeting in South Carolina, you know, like in the lobby of the hotel. So I'm thinking, well, this is kind of odd. Uh, but no, it was that was an awesome run. And, and uh, to, to know where, you know, the state of the program and Frank had taken it over to where he had taken it in 2017. That was awesome. And, uh, you know, there might have been a few tinges of envy for uh, for Derek. But uh, any of those feelings were, were overshadowed by uh just feelings of elation for all the people involved with the program. For sure. Now, Andy, I'd love to hear more about on the decision to go to Georgia Tech. Obviously, again, voice of the Yellow Jackets. I think certainly that decision has paid off. But what went into that? I guess how tough was it to leave South Carolina after building all the relationships and everything that you established in Columbia? That's a great question. And uh, 
Georgia Tech was was just too good of an opportunity for me to pass up at, at that stage in my career. You know, there's no sense being coy that they gave me a chance to call football. Uh, I had done some of that when I was in Winston-Salem uh, doing their national programming and had kind of gotten that itch to, to do it again. Um, but, you know, I, again, I, I would not have left South Carolina for, for any old job. And the more I'd done my research on Georgia Tech and the, the history of its radio network and the pedigree of broadcasters who had been the play-by-play voice there um, to, to be entrusted with upholding that tradition um, in a market like Atlanta, it was just it was too amazing an opportunity for me to pass up. But, uh, you know, I, I, I did that. Uh, through some clenched teeth because you also realize the situation that you're leaving, the people and the fans that you have to leave behind. So um, I I like to think that I traded one amazing situation for another. And uh, I still have so much fondness for, for the the fans of South Carolina and the the people that I worked with, the people that I got to broadcast for. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that uh, I can still now pop on the television and, and follow a South Carolina game and just kick back and, Enjoy the game as a spectator now. Yeah, Andy, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience in Atlanta because, again, I'm just taking a look here. You do play-by-play for football, men's basketball. Also, you've done uh, baseball, softball, you know, women's basketball. You're the voice of the WNBA's Atlanta Dreams home telecast. You even did play-by-play for the Chicago Bulls road games in 2018 and 2019. So you've done a lot since you went to Atlanta. And you've also had the chance to work with Wes Durham that I wanted to – because I always see him, and I'm like, Wes is one of those guys – that I feel like in, in your profession is really, really well-respected and does a fantastic job. And it's a guy that I always remembered whenever, you know, randomly, like you said, you cut on the TV and you tune into Georgia Tech sporting events, you hear West Durham's voice. But overall, I guess, I know that's a lot to unpack, but your experience in Atlanta, what's that been like the last couple of years? Because, again, it seems like, you know, you're really having a lot of fun and really enjoying yourself there. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Um, you know, Georgia Tech fans, very passionate um, they, they believe in the values of their institute, uh, which I love. And, you know, right now we're, uh, we're on a rising tide. Uh, we got nine teams that are either ranked or receiving votes in their national polls. Finally got to experience my first NCAA tournament with the men's team this March. Uh, so, you know, narrowly missed that with South Carolina, but finally got that experience this, uh, this past month. And the, the women just finished off a sweet 16 run and unfortunately had the to run into South Carolina and, and football is on an upward trajectory with Jeff Collins. I think there is a great uh, momentum with the football program. Uh, and so it's been uh, really rewarding uh, work with a lot of wonderful people, great leadership here at the Institute with our athletic department um, and, and being able to call football and, and basketball and contribute to our ACC network telecast of baseball and softball and volleyball. Uh, you know, they, they keep you busy, but that's how I like it. Um, and it's been fun working in a, a market like Atlanta where you got the Braves, you got uh, the Falcons and, uh, you know, a lot of uh, professional sports. And but what I what I appreciate about uh, the city of Atlanta is it's still very much a college football city. Um, in many respects, it's almost the capital of college football. And to be in the, the heart of it, calling games at Georgia Tech is uh, certainly a lot of fun. Now, Andy, before I get you out of here, I got to ask you, because, again, there's a lot of people probably tuned in that either have kids or kids themselves that want to do something like what you do. Um, and, and certainly we all know in, in journalism and TV and radio and, you know, things have, of course, changed so much since you came out of school with social media and the way things are distributed and the way content is made. I mean, it, it's wild. It's given, you know, thankfully, it's given someone like me the opportunity to do what I do. But 
I'll ask you if you had to give a piece of advice to to a kid that's maybe in school, maybe at South Carolina, Georgia Tech, wherever sure. they're at, that wants to pursue what you do as, as their career. I guess what's that piece of advice you would give them? Well, the first thing I would say is uh, broadcasting is very much an initiative industry. And so you have to really make a dedicated effort to network and, and develop relationships with people, people who are willing to critique your work and, and take an investment in your improvement as a broadcaster. But beyond that, um, you're right. The, the medium has changed so much, even from when I came back to South Carolina in 2009. Um, we, we might not have the captive audience, particularly on the radio that we had 20 and 30 years ago when Bob Fulton was calling games at Georgia Tech and also South Carolina. But I refuse to buy into the rhetoric that our medium is somehow marginalized as a result of that. Uh, in fact, I would argue that your voice can carry more than it ever has because of all these different platforms now that you can use to engage with your audience and connect with your fans. So you, you have to, to make sure that you can be a broadcaster who's more than just a radio broadcaster, that you can uh, develop ways to, to share the stories of your teams and, and your school or your organization beyond just your call of the game. Think of yourself as a storyteller of your team and your radio play-by-play -play is one component of that. Whether it's writing columns or doing podcasts or um, being creative in, in, in how you present interviews or, or share social media or digital media content about your team, there are a lot of different ways that you can capture an audience that can funnel people back to the essence of what you do, which is play by play. But you just you have to, uh, you know, put in that time and dedication to do it. If you can, though, uh, you'll realize that, that you can develop just as devoted an audience now as when, you know, the, the 75 percent of your games were only available on radio and, and people had no choice but to listen to you. Um, so, you know, as long as you can make sure you don't define yourself strictly as a, a radio broadcaster uh, and that you take advantage of every platform that you have to build your brand, build your voice, build your identity. Um, you can find that uh, you can still be every bit as relevant as you know, the play-by-play -play voices of old. Um, so just being able to take the initiative, uh, the creativity to develop all these different ways to connect with your audience, it can be very, very rewarding and uh, you wake up every day very excited to do what you do. Andy, this has been a blast, man. Thank you for being so gracious with your time. One last thing. I, I want to ask you of your favorite call at South Carolina, but I know that the, the way too easy answer is either 10 or 11, the national championship. We all know that's probably your favorites. But outside of those two, is there a call, a moment, a memory, I guess, in Columbia that sticks out to you? Okay. Uh, it, this may not come as a surprise to Gamecock fans, but – Aside from the national championship calls, it would have to be my final year with South Carolina basketball, 2015-2016, non-conference versus Clemson, Darius <laughs> Thornwell's dunk. When uh, <laughs> I, I catch the Holy Spirit and I say Darius Thornwell elevated, detonated, and left bits of orange under the basket in Greenville. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I, I think Darius's dunk was number one on SportsCenter's top ten plays that night. But I think they actually, like, synced in my radio call of it. So uh, that was really special. And, you know, that it happened against the rival school, uh, all the better. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, certainly a lot of fun uh, to be able to, to, to capture that. And uh, you just hope that uh, when that moment arrives, that 
you're ready for it. Now I'm glad it still uh, it still resonates with Gamecock fans. So that that probably would uh, that would still be on the podium. Let's put it that way. Andy Demetra, voice of the Yellow Jackets. Andy, I appreciate you taking the time, man. This is a blast. Let's definitely do it again soon and continue the great work, man. You're doing a great job in Atlanta. It's, we, it's awesome it. to see. It's always good to be remembered, Chris. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. He's Andy Demetra. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Thank you.